One continuational, I think Pat gave you an update from Eric. Uh, Bonnie just mentioned that in their service this morning, there was 15 souls that were saved in their service in Africa this morning. I think it, we need to give God a hand. I think that's the ultimate goal of what we do. I know that's the ultimate goal of why they went over there, to see that number. I'm sure there's going to be more than that, but just 15 this morning is pretty awesome. Um, this morning, I want to take some time to talk about a few things. Just a disclaimer, you may leave here with more questions than what you have now. I don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of answers in life, and the Christian life is surely not one of them. I don't know how to do it, but we're working on it. So if you have questions, I challenge you to dig in and find out, and it won't be a bad thing if you need to go searching. But I guess that for the thought process behind what I'm talking about is, I don't know if you guys ever get to the point where you start thinking about just the repetition of life and how all the, just how, it, life just kind of repeats itself. You think about all the way back to when you were a little kid. You, you grew up, your mom and dad, they fed you, they gave you clothes, they gave you everything you needed. They taught you right from wrong, they taught you all the good things, they taught you how to be successful. And you grow up, and you may be in the stage in the middle where you just live in life, and then you go on to the next stage, and you have kids, and you teach them right from wrong, you give them everything they need. And if you think about for the last 6,000 years, that's just been everybody's cycle. You, you get, you're born, you grow up, you go through life, and at the end of life you die. If you think about it that way, it gets kind of depressing, it gets kind of pointless, and it's probably where a lot of humanists come in where they just say, you know what, there is no point in life, and there is no God, there's just, that's just the way life is. But when you think about the possibility of coming in there, and the idea of that we can be a friend to God, or God can be our friend, and our whole purpose in life is to be God's friends, it really changes the whole picture and meaning, the purpose of life. And it makes life worth living. Um, when you think about the idea of being a friend of God, you probably have, I don't know, with this many people in here, there's probably about 50 different ideas coming in your head. What does it mean to be a friend of God? Some of you are thinking, you know what? That's such a crazy idea. I have no idea who God is. I, know, I have no idea how big he is. That's just a crazy idea. You hear it all the time, but I don't know what it means. And some of us probably think, you know what? I think I'm a friend of God. I think I know God. I think I know who he is. I think I know how he operates. But honestly, for me, when I started thinking about this in depth, and I guess here, I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. I don't know if, how many of you remember the homework assignment Eric gave us last week? Anybody care to stand up and tell us what it is, what it was? He mentioned one thing he wanted us to do in the morning when we wake up. Anybody remember that far back? You got it. Before your feet hit the floor, sit there and think about the fact that God loves you. And just appreciate that fact. I tried it one time. I tried it on Monday morning. And I'm embarrassed to say how short that time was because when I wake up, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get my day rolling. I'm ready to roll from one thing to the next. And to sit there and think about that God loves me all right, for, for like two seconds, I'm like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. But I have no idea how it looks. I mean, we think about God, he's huge. 
And how does it look when he loves me? It, for, I, honestly, it, I'm embarrassed to say it just kind of blows your mind. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get on with my life. I'm on with my day now. And it's hard. It's hard for me to sit there and picture a God so big that he can make the whole world, everything in it, all the universe, and then he wants a friendship with me. It blows, it blows my mind. It still does. When you think about how awesome that is, how big it is, um, it'll blow it away. And then you, you take us as humans, just these little midgets running around earth doing our own little thing. Why would he want to have a friendship with us? It, it's crazy. So, you put all that together and it really feels like a big fairy tale, right? Somebody says God wants to be friends with a human. It's a big fairy tale. But, you think back to the first people. When you think of Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and the way they had life. The, you talk about no guilt, no fear, no nothing. It was just a loving relationship. God would come, he would walk through the garden, they would talk, they would talk about everything. And they were totally open, totally honest with God, and had nothing to hide. And when they sinned, that one mess up they did, God never condemned them. He never said, you know, crazy people. He, he never came down hard on them. As soon as God came walking through the garden, Adam and Eve were the ones that hid, right? Totally guilty. Scared of God, but it was all on us. It's not something that God did. It's not something that he cut us off. It was totally on our part. And I think, well, we'll get to this later, but talking about the possibility of getting back to a relationship like Adam and Eve have with God, it, is that possible today? In our lives today, is it possible to have that open and that free of a relationship with God? I guess that's my question, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on. Um, other examples in the Bible. You, th- you start reading through, a lot of these are Old Testament examples, but you talk about Enoch and Noah. And the Bible says they just walked with God. And you look at the production of their lives and, and how God honored them and how God blessed them. And all it says is they walked with God. Everything they did in life, they walked with God. Open and honest. David was a man after God's own heart. Moses and Abraham were called friends of God. And that's still, that, that's that whole idea. God is so big, but he cares so much about you that he wants to be a friend. This one here, in Exodus thirty-four fourteen, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. All right, Moses was talking to the Israelites and if you know anything about the Israelites in the Bible, they were probably the most backstabbing people in the history. I mean, they, they would, God would bless them in amazing ways. And it wasn't long till they were just turning around and going the opposite direction of what God asked them to do. And it happened over and over and over again. And Moses is saying, you know what? God is a jealous God. He is crazy about his relationship with you. Even with people that were that stubborn and rebellious... He still had an open heart, still, still wanted a relationship with him. And you talk about us. Um, 
why, why is it that we don't accept that friendship? Why is it so hard for us to accept that friendship and just appreciate the fact that God wants to be our friend? He, he loves us. He knows us. knows everything about us. He wants to be our friend. But why is it so hard for us to accept that? You know, first of all, we talked about the fact of Adam and Eve and how they screwed it up. They had every choice in the world to make. All the opportunity they didn't need, everything that they needed was provided for. But they still chose to go directly against what God said. And we come down pretty hard on them until you think about, you know, they were the first people that ever lived. They had no history to go back on and that if they screw up, this is what's going to happen. God told them, but they never seen it in action, right? And we like to get hard on them and say, if they wouldn't have screwed up, then life would be a whole lot better for us. But how many times do we know exactly what's expected of us? Exactly what will happen if we screw up and we still screw up? And we got books and radio stations and, I mean, we got all kinds of teaching telling us what will happen, telling us what's right, what's wrong, and we still screw up. It's, it's all on us. It isn't on Adam and Eve. It, it's all on us. We do it every time. We choose the, the wrong way. Um, and think about back in, in uh, also in Old Testament, there was a town, the two towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we often think about how they were destroyed and how spectacular their destruction was, that God must have really been angry with them. I mean, you talk about fire coming down from heaven and just to, totally destroying two cities. And the whole culture, the whole civilization was just gone. And I've read, a, I've read a verse, never seen this one before. I'm sure you guys probably did, but Ezekiel 16:49, And it says, the people of Sodom, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. Looking at ways that we can destroy our relationship with God, and I would have probably said, I don't know, you name it, big, gross, nasty sins. But the reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the sins that they were in was pride, gluttony, and laziness. And man, I can't go nowhere. You know, pride shows up when I can't take responsibility for my failures. I get upset at you know, my family, people around me, people that work with me, when they don't cover for me or when, you know, just when I screw up, I like to blame. I'm, I'm going to blame somebody for what happened. I might have had part to do with it, but they sure did too, right? The pride that we have is really difficult to swallow. You take a look at our culture. Um, all the way around us, we have our rights, we have our privileges, and don't step on them, right? comes back to our hearts. Are we proud? I would say, we're, as a culture, I would say we're pretty proud. The whole thing of gluttony, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, we like to eat. Do we eat more than we need to? Probably. I know I do. I, need, I eat a lot more than I need to. And you talk about your stomach being able to control your life. It is, it is very difficult to control your stomach. And the desire for food and the desire to just eat and eat 
more than we need to? It's huge. Try to go some days without eating, and you realize how difficult or how much control your stomach has over your life. It will dominate your day. It will dominate your thinking. And by the end of the day, I can get pretty grumpy if I don't get any food all day long. I can get very grumpy. But take it back. Is that something that's pulling us away from God? Is that something that's distracting us from a relationship with God? Um, and then laziness. I don't know how many of you guys, how, how many people in history would ever consider themselves lazy? I can't imagine. I mean, there, there may be a few exceptions that people actually consider themselves lazy. But as people, do we know people that we think are lazy? Probably. I mean, we, we probably point a finger at a couple of people that we think are lazy, but would those people think they're lazy? I don't think so. So, in, in the whole idea of laziness, um, I don't know that it's something that we would actually think of if we're being lazy. I, I kind of think we'll fall under the category of being busy in the wrong things and lazy in the important things. You know, I'm sure that happened with the people of Sodom. They were busy. Don't, I, I know they weren't sitting around just being lazy all the time. I'm sure they were busy. It was a productive city. It was a big city. I'm sure they weren't lazy. But God called them lazy. And you look at our lives, I know not many of us sit around doing nothing, right? We're all busy. We're all busy doing something, whether it's maybe it's social media. Maybe we're on Facebook or on Twitter all the time and we're really staying busy and communicating that way. Maybe it's, maybe we're at home and we're, or even at work. I know I, I get caught in this trap of when I start working, I want to work, I want to get my job done, and I want to I be efficient at what I do, right? And somebody comes walking up to your desk, you don't have time to sit down and talk. You don't have time to pursue a relationship with that person because it has nothing to do with the job you're doing. That, for me, is hard to get over. And I, I hope I can change that. And I, I know there's a balance. You've got to have perspective. You've got to have a goal. You want to do what your employer pays you to do, right? But there's also the idea of doing whatever we do to honor God. Whether it's a person coming up there. You know, that person probably has, he may irritate you. He may just get under your skin. I don't know. But he also may need that time, that connection with you as a refreshment for his relationship with God. I, I don't know. There, there's always situations. There's always something coming up. Let's don't make our jobs more important than our relationships. And let's don't be lazy in our relationships. Um, same thing with, with kids' activities. I know this time of year, our family actually has it set up where this time of year isn't quite so busy with sports, but I know in the fall, we get Allie and Kate in soccer, we got Corey in football, and life just gets crazy. And it's five nights a week, sometimes Saturdays, and everybody is running different directions, and it just gets crazy. Busy? Yeah, we're busy. Um, are we teaching... Those are good things. I, I, don't, I love soccer. I love football, and I'll get involved this fall again. I'm, we're going to do it. We're going to go at it with all we got. 
But are we busy in those kind of things? And are we lazy in teaching our kids the importance of meeting the needs of the people around us? There's, there's needy people. There's people that need our help. There's people that need our love and attention. And sometimes that gets messy. Sometimes it's hard. But are we willing to go there? Are we, are we willing to teach our kids that it's more important to take care of the needs of people around us than it is to develop soccer skills or football skills? You know, we all, we all got our little thing. And maybe it's something else. But th- those are things that, that we get involved in. I think they're good things. But I think they can also be a distraction if, we're, if we forget what's really important. Um, so, in a relationship with God, how possible is it for us to have a friendship with God? It's, it's difficult. We're all guilty. We all got these things that we are hung up on. And it might be, might be simple little things. It might be big, hard things. But we all have got a thing that we're hung up on. And we're all guilty. And I'll read a couple of verses about our solution. Um, we're all guilty in one way or the other. And we all also have the same remedy. John 15, verse 15. is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And here again, that whole idea of how big God is, how awesome he is, how he cares to be your friend. You know, I have a boss. I have Harley works at Yoder's. He communicates pretty well the vision of Yoder's and what, what Yoder's wants to accomplish. But he doesn't tell me everything. I mean, he's, he's human. He's not perfect. But you take Jesus and his relationship with you. It says he hasn't, he hasn't made you a servant. You're not his slave. He calls us all his friends. And he lets us in on the whole big mission that he's got. Um, you know, he calls us his friends. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He died for us. And, and when I was thinking about that fact, I was like, you know what? That, that sounds so cliche. We, we hear that so often. We hear it, I don't know how often we hear it, but often, Jesus died for your sins. You know, he rose again. He, he redeemed you. Think, think about back before God created anybody. Back before God created you. I have an idea that God, I know, I know he personally created each one of you. He personally said, you know what, I want to make this one with long blonde hair. I want to make this one with curly brown hair. I want to make this one tall. I want to make this one short. I want to make this person just fun to be with. I want to make him outstanding. I, w- I want him to be an outstanding leader. God, God looked at each one of you before he made you. And he said, I want this person to be just like this. It'll show this part of me. It'll show a little bit about myself. And then he had all that thought process in his head. He had all that planned out for you. He created you. He breathed life into you. 
and you grew up, and every one of us do this. We, we grow up, and we turn our back on the God who made us. And you think about the fact that God put all that energy, all that time into you, and the first thing we knew, we were looking around for everything that could satisfy us except God, and we went wherever we wanted to go. God knew all that, he planned all that, and he still said, you know what, I'm going to die, I'm going to pay the price, so that person, so Milton and Gary and Laverne, whoever it is, as soon as they decide that they want a friendship with me, the, the price has been paid. Everything is paid for, all they need to do is turn and come back. When I create something, or when I work hard at something, and I dream something, and I put it all together, and it doesn't turn out, my first idea is to scrap it and move on to something else, right? Who, who, wants to, who has that kind of patience? Who has that kind of time? It, it's amazing when you think about God planning all that, the millions and billions of people in this world who turn their back on God, slap him in the face, and do whatever they want, and he still loves you desires a relationship with you, wants you to be a friend, it's pretty incredible. And I hope, that, I hope that we never lose sight of the fact of how awesome it is that God wants to be our friend. He lets us in on his secret mission. He lets us in on loving people. He's all about his relationship with us. Um, also, Let's, I want to talk about six characteristics of a friend of God. How, how does it actually look like? How do, what does it actually look like when a person is a friend of God? I told you this morning, I, I sat down on Monday morning, I had a hard time picturing a relationship with a God that is so big, so awesome. If you just glance at it, he looks so impersonal. Until you have a relationship with him and you know how personal God can be. Let's look at six areas of what a friendship with God might look like. When you think about best friends, I think some of us are better at friends. Some of us have really good friends. Some of us maybe struggle in that area a little bit. But we think of two best friends getting together. The first thing that happens is it's just constant conversation, right? There's no, there's no introductions. There's no... I don't know what it is. You just, you just talk, right? Same thing with God. I, I think a person that is a friend of God develops the ability to have conversation all day long. It don't, it don't matter what we're doing. It could be anything, everything we're doing, everything throughout the day. If you've got a little thing come up, talk to God. I struggle with that. Um, my wife has the ability to talk to God about anything. It, it can be the smallest little thing that seems to come up. I'm trying to figure out a way around it. She's talking to God, letting him know what's going on. Th- that ability to just talk, that, that relationship, picture it as two friends. They, they just talk. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing between them. Um, also, in that constant conversation, you know, following Christ doesn't mean that we change everything we do, but it changes why we do what we do, and it changes our attitude. 
Just because you're a friend of God does not mean you quit your job, does not mean you start a whole brand new life somewhere, some other state. It doesn't have to be that way. It, it may be, but it probably won't be. But what it does change is it changes the way you think about your job. It changes the reason you go to work. It changes the reason you love your family. It, it changes your attitude about what you do and not necessarily, it doesn't really necessarily change what you do, it just changes your attitude about what you do. Um, also, in that idea of having a constant conversation, like I said, I struggle with it. It's not something that comes natural for me. But you look at, let's look at the, the musicians up here for an example. I know none of them picked up a guitar this morning and said they're going to just learn how to play guitar and go to church and play guitar. They're not going to start a piano this morning and come to church and play it. You've got to practice. You've got to be intentional. I'm sure these people, I'm, I've seen a new fellow up here this morning playing on the, on the guitar. And I'm sure Scott didn't just out of the blue go pick somebody and say, you know what, I want you to play on the team this morning. That person was practicing and he knew, Scott knew that that person had done the work. He practiced, he got good at it, and he was ready to be used. I think the same thing happens with us. I struggle sometimes, you know, you see people intentionally doing stuff, and it seems, it seems a little fake. It seems like they're trying to be good, trying to do good things. But you know what? Sometimes I think we need to be a little bit more intentional. It, it's not always going to come so natural to be a constant communicator with God. It's not always going to be so natural to just honor God in everything we do. Sometimes I think we have to be intentional about the way we do stuff. Practice. Practice hard. Practice long. And God will build you to the point where you can be used. It may, may not come overnight. It may. But who knows? It, but be intentional about the way you live and about the, the things you do. Second characteristic of a friend of God is continual meditation. Meditation can look a lot of different ways, I think. Um, I heard or I read a comment one time where somebody said, if you know how to worry about something, you also know how to meditate about something. Thinking about something. Thinking about it over and over again. Job 23, verse 12 it says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. I'm not there. Maybe some of you guys are. Like I said, when I go a day without food, it's hard. And I don't know that I've got that kind of desire for the word of God. I, I wish I would. I wish it would come that. I want that so bad. Job says, he desires the words of his mouth more than his daily bread. Incredible. Incredible relationship with God. When you get to that point of desiring God more than you desire food would be a, a very awesome thing. But it is impossible to be a friend of God if you don't know what he says. So, spend time with the word. Allow God to share his secrets with you. God will 
He'll speak to you if you spend time meditating on his word. Third characteristic of a friend of God is honesty and openness. You know, there's probably not a lot of things that will destroy the foundation of a friendship more than dishonesty. If, if I have people that I'm working with, bump into in life, and you go through a certain situation and, you, and it's revealed that they lied about something or that they were dishonest about something, that is probably the hardest thing for me to get over and build a good relationship with a person like that because when you have a crack in a foundation of honesty, it is extremely difficult to have a relationship with a person. And then you look at, like, look at that whole idea in a relationship with God. What, what do we got to lose? I mean, for real. Why do we not get totally open and totally honest with God? He knows everything about you. He knows everything you do. He knows everything you think. He knows everything. And we have a hard time opening up with God and just being totally honest. We got nothing to lose. Absolutely nothing. Be open. Be honest with God. He does not require perfection, but he demands honesty. The uh, fourth one, the characteristic of a friend of God is respect and obedience. You know, obedience will always deepen our relationship with God. Every time you do something out of obedience, just God said it, go do it. Yesterday, we were working around the house there. And we have a horse and a cow, and they're running out of grass in the small pasture we got there. So we were fencing off some, some new area where they could actually get out and eat some more grass. And after we got the line up, we actually hooked a shocker to it and put some electricity in there so they bump it once and they won't try it again, right? Well, after you got it all hooked up, you've got to test it. And somebody's got to be brave enough to touch the line or do something to figure out if that line is shocking or not. So I, I told Corey and Allie, I said, I'll give a dollar to the first person that grabs that line and checks it out. And it didn't take them, it was probably 30 seconds, so they built the courage, and I think it was a simultaneous, ouch! Like, they both touched it at the same time, so I don't know who gets a dollar. But anyway, after that, they were like, Dad, come on, you touch it. I don't know about you, but I got no need to touch the line. It's shocking. I know it's shocking, Right? I got no need to go touch that line. So they're calling me chicken. They're calling me everything else in the book. And I, and I go up there. I have every intention to touch the line. And I get within an inch. I ain't doing it. I mean, it's just stupid. I got no reason to touch the line. I'm not touching that thing to get shocked. I know it's not hard. <laughs> it was just something. I just couldn't touch it. All right. That may be far-fetched in the idea of obedience. But when God tells us to do something... Do we have to have a reason why? Do we have to know what it is that God wants to accomplish for us to be obedient and to do exactly what he says to do? I, I still didn't touch the line, but I, you know, I don't think, I still don't think I'm a chicken either. <laughs> um, number five, the characteristic of a friend of God is to value what he values. And to love what he loves. 
if you have if you have a friend and you love everything about that person, you find ways. What, what's important to them becomes important to you, right? Uh, this is one area I'm probably not real good at, but I'll, I'll tell you about the one time that I think I got it right. Um, I love my wife. I love everything about her. And not so good at getting gifts, not so good at showing her that I love her. But one time, we were all down at the beach uh, last Thanksgiving, actually, the day before, well, day, a day of Thanksgiving. And we're sitting around. And you know how they all get the newspapers. They got all the sales coming out on Friday, and there's going to be all this good shopping going on. And they were getting ready to do their shopping stuff. Well, I'm sitting in one part of the room. Jen and Carmen are sitting over in the other part of the room. And they're talking, and Jen makes a comment about a sweater or a jacket that she really likes. I, I, I'll stop right there and put a disclaimer. If she knew that I was listening, she's pretty good at faking them because I don't think she said that just so that I would hear. But anyway, if she did, she's good. But, you know, I took that after she left the room. I went over. I found Carmen. I found the book that they were looking at. And I found the jacket that she, want, that she said she wanted. Right? She said it. I knew she liked it. I wanted to go get it for her for Christmas. We went shopping. We came back, to, came back home a week or two later and we went shopping. It was at Kohl's. I knew it was at Kohl's. I knew where the, you know, it was supposed to be in the jacket section, in the sports section. And I went, I did everything I could to find it, right? I got there. I found the one that was her size. I picked it up. We went, did some other shopping, and I noticed that jacket had a little smudge on it. It was not perfect. It wasn't perfectly clean. I didn't put it on there. It was on there before I got it, too. Um, but instead of taking that one to the cashier and checking it out, I took it back to the rack, and there was one more that was the size perfectly of what she wanted. I, just because I valued what she wanted, I was going to get her the best thing that I could find. And I hoped in our relationship with God we do the same thing. You know, we know exactly what it is God wants. We know he loves people. We know he loves kids. We know he loves to meet the needs of people that need him. What is it that we do to honor God when we hear something that he loves, when we hear something that touches his heart? Do we get stirred? Do we do anything about it when we find out what God loves, what God wants? Do we value what God values? Number six is we desire his friendship more than anything else. I'm sorry, but let me back up. I missed a few points on that number five. Let's read Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. Do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them mine enemies. All right, so we love what he loves, we value what he values, and we also hate what he hates. That's where I think I get lazy. I think, I think we have a tendency, when life gets difficult, we have a tendency to get lazy. I, I know I do. When we discover, you know, there's a certain situation going on that is wrong, that is not what God likes, what do we do about it? What, what can we do about it? 
And that, that may not always be our business to meddle in something, but sometimes I believe it is. And sometimes God wants us to shed light, to be truth in certain situations where he wants us to make a difference. So let's be, let's don't be lazy. Let's value what he values. Let's love what he loves. Number six, we desire his friendship more than anything else. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are we ready to get open and honest with God? Will we let him search everything about us? Will we be totally free? Will we be totally open and honest with him? Are we going to love what he loves? Are we going to value what he values? Are we going to hate what he hates? And I guess my prayer is for us today that we would do that. We would just let God search us, let God open us up, and let him do his work in our lives. Let's, Let's close with a word of prayer.